every time I hear that hymn, I think there is no reason for me to preach, just we still have 30 minutes, so I better do something. <laughs> Steve, we have to have the Gettys back. We just got to figure out a way for you to get the money and have them back. So there's a, we've had them here a couple of times. They wrote that hymn and the others, uh, such blessings to me, but they bring a whole band. They're from Ireland and just wonderful. And you figure that out. We got to have them back. All right. Anonymous, that well-known and underpaid poet wrote, the world will never adjust itself to suit your whims to the letter. Some things will go wrong your whole life long and the sooner you know it, the better. Sometimes our plans just don't work out. We have our plans, we have our dreams and they just don't always work out. Now, as we conclude our study in the book of Acts today, Paul experienced that fact himself. At the time of our text, he is in Caesarea staying at the home of Philippi. Agabus, a prophet, comes to him and says to him, don't go to Jerusalem, because that's what Paul wanted to do. His desire was to go to Jerusalem, but Agabus said, you don't want to go there because there is a rumor concerning you in Jerusalem that you are not supportive of the law. And because you are not supportive of the law, at least the rumor says, then you are not going to receive a great welcome. Well, Paul would not hear to that because his commitment, his desire was to go to Jerusalem. And so then they came up with a plan as to how they might work things out in a favorable way. They said, now there, there are four men in Jerusalem who are under a vow. On the seventh day, they are going to shave their head. And on the eighth day, they, they pay the vow. It was suggested to Paul, why don't you pay the vow? Now that could be quite expensive. Why don't you pay their vow? But as a result of having done that, then the people are going to know that you in fact support the law, that you are not opposed to it. Well, Paul agreed to do that, but things still didn't work out. They just didn't go according to plan. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse number 17. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly, and now the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And after he had greeted them, he began to re relate one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come, therefore do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses in order that they may shave their heads, and all will know that there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly 
keeping the law. One of the lessons that we learn fairly early in life is there are some people we cannot please. I know that in saying that there are names and faces that come to your mind because there are some people we simply cannot please. I heard about a couple had been married for some time. The man was not easy to get along with. He came down to breakfast one morning and the wife was preparing breakfast and she said, what would you like for breakfast? He said, a couple of eggs, toast and some bacon. She said, okay, how do you want your eggs prepared? He said, boil one of them and fry the other. Well, she came back in a little bit with breakfast and she put it before him. He got up, threw down his napkin and said, well, you've done it again. You boiled the wrong egg. <laughs> we, we all know people like that. It just doesn't matter what we do. They are not going to be pleased. It doesn't matter how sincere we are, how hard we try. We are not going to please some people. And Paul could not please his critics. Now, what was the charge against him? What had he done? Well, they said that he had violated their custom in verse number 41. And they have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to our custom. The belief was that Paul had violated their customs, that he had violated their traditions. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you know as well as I that sometimes our traditions, our customs become more important to us than God or the Word of God. Sometimes it is more important to us to keep the customs than it is to keep the Word of God. Some of you will remember some years ago when we were looking at our church service and we were moving into this building and so forth and, and it seemed the reasonable thing to do to move our service from 11 o'clock to 10.30. But there was a considerable amount of discussion concerning that move. After all, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is sacred. Everybody knows that. I mean, this is the sacred time of the week, 11 o'clock. Where did that come from? Does the Bible say that don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning? Is that what the Bible says? Well, then how is it that 11 o'clock became a sacred tradition in so many of our churches? Very simple. We were farmers. And so you got up in the morning before you went to church and milked the cows and fed the chickens and did the things that you had to do. Then you got ready and went to church. So 11 o'clock was a reasonable time for the worship service when we were farmers, but I doubt that any of you milked any cows this morning. But see, that becomes a tradition. It becomes important. to us. I can give you another one. The doxology. You know, I mean, that is a sacred piece of music on Sunday morning. The deacons take the offering and they come back in and we all stand and sing the doxology. I mean, that is an important tradition. I've told Steve, he doesn't seem to understand that. Some of you will need to talk with him after the service so he understands <laughs> the importance of a tradition. But that was what Paul was dealing with here. 
they believed that he had violated their customs, he had violated their traditions. And the truth is, there were some people who simply did not like Paul. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10.10, For they say his, speaking of Paul, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. There were some people who simply did not like him. They say, you know, he doesn't look like a preacher. I mean, he is not an impressive looking person. His speech is contemptible. He doesn't talk like a preacher. He doesn't know to use thee and thou and put those things. There were some who simply didn't like Paul. And so they rejected him as a result of So there were these people there that he couldn't please. Even though he tried to, he could not please them. But that was not exclusive with Paul. Jeremiah had those people that he couldn't please. God called Jeremiah to be a prophet. Jeremiah, with reluctance, agreed to do what God had called him to do. And he began to preach the message that God had given him to preach. But it was a harsh message. It was not the message of the other prophets. It was not the message that was acceptable to the government. And as I was reading in my devotional time this morning in Jeremiah chapter 20, the Bible says the people hated him. They imprisoned him. They wanted to kill him because they did not like the message that he preached. Even though he was in God's will doing what God had called him to do, he was not accepted by the people. Frank Clark said, To be popular, a preacher must distinguish between important problems and trivial ones and preach about the trivial. Well, Jeremiah had not learned that little trick of the ministry. And so the people simply did not like him. He could not please them. Moses could not please the people in his day. You know the story of Moses. God called him and said, Moses, I want you to deliver my people out of bondage. Moses again with reluctance submitted himself to God. He began to do the work of God. But the people, as he delivered them out of bondage, did not like Moses. And so the Bible says in Numbers 21 verse 5, And the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. They didn't like Moses. Now see, they were in prison. They were slaves. They were in prison as slaves, and they were released under the leadership of Moses. They get out in the midst of the, of the wilderness going to the promised land. They forgot all about the promised land. And they said, oh, do you remember when we used to have the flesh pots and all the good time that we used to have when we were slaves back there in Egypt? And now that he's brought us out here and all we have is angels' food to eat, he could not please them. You read the story of Moses, I feel sorry for him because the Bible says that the people grumble all the time. In fact, it got so bad for Moses that he said, God, if I'm going to have to do this the rest of my life, kill me now. Shorten my life. Nobody liked Moses. It was just a, he, he tried his best to lead the people, to serve the people, to honor God, but there were people who just didn't like him. Did you know there were even people who didn't like Jesus? 
Jesus was obedient to the Father. He said, not my will, but thine be done. He was committed to doing the will of the Father. But the Bible tells us that the people crucified him. They didn't like him either. Well, we shouldn't be surprised then, folks, whenever the church is criticized and fails to please. There's always criticism about the church and the people of the church. Your ministry, if you're evangelistic, you're either too evangelistic or you're not evangelistic enough. If you have any social ministries where you're too social or you're not social enough, when it comes to missions, you give too much to missions and focus too much on missions or you don't focus enough on missions, you don't give enough to missions. Music, some people like it, some people don't. Truth is, Steve and I like it. So we figure that that's, that's all right. When it comes to money, everybody knows that it takes money. I was talking to uh, someone this morning, and I said, you know, I mean, we are supposed to live by faith, but the truth is SCE and G doesn't care if we have faith or not. They just want a check. SCBT, they don't care if we have faith or not. They just want a check. That's just the way they, well, we all know that, but there are those who resent it. The point that I'm trying to make is that we shouldn't be surprised when there are those people who criticize and don't like us. But the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, with you, with the church, the problem oftentimes is the critic. You can try your best to please some people, and there are some people you are not going to please. And sometimes the problem is the critic. You see, the problem of the critic oftentimes is a problem of prejudice. The word prejudice means to prejudge, to make a judgment of something or someone before we have all the facts. Oftentimes we don't like something or we don't like someone simply because we do not have the facts. John Scott Eldon was the Lord Chancellor of England. He was litigating a trial. He had spent two hours summarizing his argument, making his case, when he noticed that one of the jurors was missing. He stopped and asked the foreman of the jury where the man was and he said he was called away by an urgent message just after lunch but it's all right he left his verdict with me. You see when we are prejudiced we make our decisions and reach our conclusions without the facts and there was a prejudice against Paul. Now look again in verse number 21. They have been told about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. Now look at verse number 29. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Do you see what happened? They supposed. They reached a conclusion without fact. They supposed he had done this without fact. There's oftentimes prejudice against denominations. We as Baptists certainly understand this. I'm sure that others do as well. But we understand. I, I've talked with people before. They told me, said, I, I would never be a Baptist. I said, well, you know, why not? Because I, I mean, I enjoy being a Baptist. So what's wrong with being a bad? Well, you know how those people are. 
I mean, they're narrow-minded, they hate women, they handle snakes. And I said, well, we don't hate women. We <laughs> but, you know, oftentimes they're they are just prejudiced without any basis for it, without any fact for it. They, they, they've already formed an opinion. We, we do the same thing concerning styles of worship. For instance, if one goes to a church that is formal, that is more liturgical, Oftentimes, someone will say, well, you know, those people down there, they are dead. I mean, they're just spiritually dead. They just sit there like knots on a log. They don't do anything. They're just spiritually dead. And then you come to another church, and they are more demonstrative, uh, more contemporary, and people raise their hands and so forth, and then those other people always say, well, you know, those people are nuts over there. It's all emotion. It's not... Not anything. And then you come to a church like ours where we have a blended service. We, you know, we're, you know, we're dead and nuts, I guess. But we, you know, we, we have both. We have a, we sing the hymns and we sing the choruses and we have a blended service. And some people say, well, they're compromisers. Rick Warren was in my house once, and we were talking about our styles of worship, and and uh, he was asking me how, you know, how. Our, service went and I told him that there's a blended service and so forth. Rick said you know that would never work at Saddleback. He said that, that just that just would never work where I am. I said yeah but if I tried to do it the way you do it they'd fire me where I am. So we have different ways of doing it and oftentimes see we have this prejudice against it. If it's not the way that I do it now see this is the way that I prefer but that does not mean that everybody else is wrong. I can honestly go to a liturgical church and worship God. If the spirit of, the God, of God is moving there, I can. Or I can go to a church where they are more demonstrative than I am and I can worship God there. But my preference is this, not meaning that the others are wrong, but oftentimes we have these prejudices and as a result, we misjudge others. We do the same thing racially. I mean, we have stereotypes about other races, and oftentimes we, we misjudge them, we misunderstand them. That's one of the great values of my friendship with Reverend Jackson because he and I have learned that we held beliefs about the other's race that were wrong. And so we have learned that all of the stereotypes we have are not correct. We do the same thing regionally. I mean, the Southerners, we think all the Yankees are rude, don't we? I mean, except those who belong to our church. I mean, if you're a southerner, you think, oh, those people, they're all rude. And the Yankees think we're all slow because we talk slowly. You know, they equate the two. When those people talk slow, they must be slow. I was talking with Dr. Naylor, who used to be the pastor of this church, and he was talking about that. He said, southerners talk slowly because we don't want to have to do it twice. So we talk slowly because we're thinking about it, you know, and they think we're slow because we talk slow. We're actually thinking. But here's the problem with our prejudice. Oftentimes we are prejudiced against others. The problem with our prejudice is that it infects others. Now look down at verse number 30. And all the city was aroused and the people rushed together and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple and immediately the doors were shut. Did you notice all the city? 
there was this prejudice of some against Paul because they believed that he had violated their customs, but the Bible says that all the city got involved with it. The prejudice of these infected some others. That also happened with Jesus. When Jesus stood before Pilate and the leaders had already made up their mind that they were going to crucify Jesus. And then as they got within the crowd, they began to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And then all the crowd picked up on it, crucify him, crucify him. The prejudice of those, the leaders, infected the people. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to understand that because the prejudice of parents passed on to their children. The prejudice of teachers oftentimes is passed on to their students. As I look at this passage of scripture, I see that you can't please everyone. And oftentimes the reason that you can't please someone is because of the prejudice that they hold. They have already reached a conclusion, though the conclusion is not valid. They've reached a conclusion and thus you cannot please them. But there is a lesson here in perseverance, some things that I see. Paul tried to please the people. He tried to disarm the dislike that they had for him. It didn't work, but he tried. But as I look at this passage of Scripture, I notice something is that compromise is seldom successful. Compromise seldom works. Paul tried to compromise with his critics, but it didn't work. They still felt the same way. It is my belief, and, and I don't mean that, you know, that you're obnoxious and hard-headed and don't listen and those kinds of things. But ladies and gentlemen, when we compromise those things that are important, the essentials, when we compromise the fundamentals, we always lose. I remember years ago when there began to be the pressure that when you pray in public, don't pray in Jesus' name. And now we have come to a place where all prayers under attack. I mean, prayers are so generic now, I, 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 sometimes I don't even know why, why we have it. See, if, if I pray in public, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name because I'm a Christian. If, if someone calls on a rabbi to pray, I expect him to pray a Jewish prayer. He is not a Christian. I have no problems with that. But whenever we begin to compromise these things, when we begin to compromise the essentials, we always lose. We've done that with Christmas. You remember some years ago, whenever it began to be, well, you know, let's say happy holidays rather than Merry Christmas and because we don't want to offend anyone. And now then, any Christian greeting is subject to attack today. Compromise is seldom successful because you can never compromise enough unless you give in completely. Another thing I see there is that good men can give bad advice. Look at verse number 22. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you've come. Therefore do this that we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them. Pay their expenses in order that they may shave their heads and all will know there is nothing to the things which they have been told about you but that you also walk keeping the law. Now James meant well. I don't think there's any question about that. They meant well. It was to diffuse the, the, uh, the, the issue that was there. He meant well, but it was nevertheless bad advice. 
and people can give bad advice. Well-meaning people oftentimes give bad advice. But here's the next thing that I see is that failure is not final. When things don't turn out as we planned, that does not mean we are through. When things don't turn out like you had them planned, that doesn't mean that's the end. It doesn't mean that you are finished. Look at Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. Potiphar had him thrown into prison. I mean, look at the failures of Joseph. But Joseph would not waver. He did not compromise. He was committed to God. And he rose to become the second man in all of Egypt. It wasn't the end. Just because he was attacked, just because he couldn't please everybody, did not mean it was the end for him. What about Jesus? Jesus was crucified. He died on the cross. But if I remember correctly, on the third day he rose from the grave. It wasn't the end. Now there were those who thought that it was the end. Well, we finally rid ourselves of him. But it wasn't the end because of the resurrection. I say that to say this to you because I know that some of you deal with these things. You have critics and criticisms that are oftentimes unfair and not true. And sometimes the criticism that you deal with and the critics that you face can greatly damage you. And what I want to say to you today and I want you to hear today is that that is not who you are in Christ. And therefore it must not define you. Catherine Beavis tells of a young man in college. He got around on crutches he was well-liked and very popular with the students. No matter where he went, the kids loved him. Well, one day a student was talking to him and asked him the question. said, what happened? And he said, I had infantile paralysis. And the student said, with a misfortune like that, how can you face the world with such joy? I, how can you be so joyful when you have the burden that you have? How can you bring so much happiness to others? With the burden you have. And the young man replied, oh, the disease never touched my heart. Folks, if you're living for Jesus, if you love Jesus, don't let it touch your heart. Let him touch your heart. Don't let him define who you are. Don't let the critic define who you are. Let Jesus define who you are. Let me conclude. You can't please everybody. So don't compromise those things that are really important because it's not going to work. Two, don't be prejudiced because that will lead to false conclusions and infect others. Three, persevere. If it's right, don't waver. Because our call is not to be pleasing to everyone else. Our call is to be pleasing to him.
So our commitment must be then to be pleasing to him. Our Father, I lift up to you some who are struggling because of the criticism of others and the doubts that they have. Father, I pray that they might find the strength and direction in Jesus. Lord, that if we committed our lives to him, that we are, we are children of the king, our sins are forgiven. Lord, that you love us more than we can ever understand. And may we live our lives to glorify you. I pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand, sing a hymn of invitation. If you're here without Jesus, I encourage you to commit your life to him today. You'll never regret it. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir sings, you come. I'll greet you as you do.